The most important component of mindfulness is acceptance of what is happening right now. Because the acceptance we're talking about here is not about accepting the situation and giving up and not doing anything about it. It's it's accepting the reality that we are facing right now as truth. This is Intelligent Rebellion. Howdy, 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 folks. Welcome to episode 15 of the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. My name is Ria Mikado and I am your host. In this episode, I chat with my good friend, future crunch sibling and road trip buddy, Dr. Esan Sakai. We talk about mindfulness, being present and how a trip to the beach changed his entire outlook on life. Esan also has a little message for all the students doing their HSC right now. So sit back, relax, put your feet up, and I hope you enjoy this chat with Dr. Esan Sakai. So hey, Esan, thank you so much for coming on to the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ria. <laughs> um, but we've, we've spent some time together over the last few months. We have. And we've also done some road trips. Can you just go ahead and just like tell the world who you are and what you do? First of all, Ria, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's been, it's a pleasure to uh, be here and share some of my stories with you. Um, who am I? Wow, that's a big question. It's something I, I struggle with myself. So um, uh, my my professional background is engineering. I am an engineer by profession. I've got two degrees in um, engineering, including a, a doctorate. By passion, I, I love to develop people, bringing the best out of people, passionate about education. So I've been um, an educator for more than a decade now, uh, teaching at the University uh, of Sydney, UCLA Extension, and at times at Osaka University. What are those pivotal moments in your life that you think led you to being on the health and wellness side? Engineering mm. and then this, it, yeah. it's, yeah. it seems removed. A- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think I think that's a very important question. And it, there are pivotal points in my life where uh, that, that decision was made. And it was mainly the point uh, when I was working as a postdoc in Japan in wireless comms, so te- it's all technical. For two years, it was great. Uh, loved my job, loved being there, new environment, loved Japanese food, traveling every, almost every month, every couple of months, anywhere in the world. I find a conference all paid for by the, by the university, <laughs> you know, whether it's Hawaii or Hong Kong or um, Bratislava, LA, you know, just traveling everywhere. And But I think at some point, in fact, it was at a conference in um, in Hawaii, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which your surname rhymes, rhymes with, with, as yeah. you've just explained to me. The the most efficient way to say your surname yeah. is Sakai, which rhymes with Hawaii. Exactly, exactly. And I uh, I was at a conference in Hawaii uh, in two thousand ten. And this was one of the biggest conferences in my field. So I was there to do a presentation uh, of my research. Uh, it was really interesting. At, at the dinner uh, for that conference, something shifted in my head uh, because I saw, I mean, it wasn't just at that banquet. It was also during that week when, when I was um, at the conference, I sensed people are not really there to do great things. They're just there on a holiday. For instance, in the morning, after the day I was going to present, I thought I'll go for a quick swim and come back. And I saw more people at the beach than at the conference. So like conference people, like people who were supposed to be at the conference. So it's like, 
what's going on here. But also I kind of felt like be- became a little bit more distant from the community of people that were there. I just felt like mm-hmm. I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like um, and it, and my work as much as, you know, it, it was straightforward. I was doing well. My boss was happy with my uh, performance. I was publishing a lot of papers. I was, you know, um, doing well. I was increasingly losing meaning in my work as well. I just couldn't see the significance of uh, writing a, another research paper in wireless telecoms. That combined with pressures from just being in a country where I felt isolated a lot of times. Um, the la- I struggled with the language, which magnified the kind of losing meaning in life, essentially, at that yeah. point, where I was like, okay, I can't really find enough meaning in my work. At that mo- moment, and this would have been around uh, 2009, 2010, I just decided, okay, I just need to do more than just this. So I talked to my boss and I said, look, I, I want to run some mentoring programs, coaching coaching of the students, uh, teach them about life skills, uh, soft skills. Uh, they, they're, they're very left brain, they're very technical, very smart, very intelligent, but they just didn't have the level of social skills that could help them. Me kind of coming from a background where personal development was part of my life. I mean, even though I did engineering since uh, I was in high school, I was very much into personal development. So I would read uh, books on how to improve, improve myself in different uh, different ways. St- Stephen Covey's Seven Habits was one of the first books that I read. In fact, I listened to it at an uh, audiobook and it was cass- cassette back then, you know, this is back then. <laughs> I used to go to, to Dimmicks and, you know, bookshop, bookstores and buy these, um, uh, you know, audiobooks and books on, uh, you know, concentration and relaxation and focus. And, and, and so, yeah, so it's a personal level was kind of part of my life. Um, and I picked up a lot of, a lot of that skills of, um, which helped me throughout my school. But I felt like it's it, just to be holistic, there's all sorts of things, including well-being. Like I took well-being very seriously, you know, until my, you know, late twenties, it was for me, but now I just wanted to kind of teach it to others and mentoring and coaching and starting like a mentoring international mentoring uh, group and also university quality of life society (laughs) quality of life society society. Uh, because i feel like quality of life is such a multi-dimensional concept and it gives a a way for me to talk about different aspects of quality of life Mm -hmm. whether it's mental and physical health and well-being uh, whether it's efficiency and effectiveness in life productivity Mm -hmm. whether it's like meaning and purpose why am I here? What what, are, what am I supposed to do? What's important to me? All those kind of questions can fall on, on, onto that. Um, and so I started that and uh, just as part-time, uh, in fact, just on the side, I was still required to write research papers in wireless comms. Mm-hmm. At some point, I felt this inner pressure to go and resign from my job, my formal job, and say, look, I've changed. And this is exactly the conversation I had with my boss. I said, look, uh, the person you hired three three years ago is not the person who I am today, and I need to move on. Everyone thought I'd lost my mind. It's like, well, what, what's wrong with you? just got promotion? Not not many foreigners get this kind of promotion. Like, you know, you're mm-hmm. assistant professor, you know, at age 27. Yeah. <laughs> what's this? Like, what are you doing? And and I said, well, look, you know, like if I'm not happy, if inside I feel like this is not who I am, then what's the point? Externally, it looks great, but internally, um, I'm, I'm suffering. So so I resigned, came back to Australia, started a company called Wacky Wisdom. <laughs> I love your cartoons. At that, at, that moment, at, that, at that moment, everyone thought I had completely lost my mind. You know, setting up a company with that name, especially, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> at some point, at some point, my parents were like, "Are you okay? Do you need to see a psychologist?" 
started that company, which was bringing also, as you know, you mentioned briefly, I, I, cartooning, which is which was a long lost passion of mine. Which before I was an engineer, before I was anything else, I was a cartoonist. Uh, in fact, a lot of people when I was in primary school, uh, especially when we recently moved to Australia, thought I'll become a cartoonist. I mean, it was bringing that side of that creative side of me, combining with my passion of people development and creating a company which is to build edutainment. Like educational mm-hmm. entertainment around quality of life, well-being, personal development, leadership development, things like that. Initially, um, I started looking for cases. Okay, so, so, what? How am I supposed to generate income out of this? So, <laughs> my first clients were startups and people who were just starting a company. They wanted to explain their um, uh, business concepts. So, a lot of them came to me and said, "You know, can you be build some animations?" So there was that side of it where I was building animations, and and the other side of it was actually running programs on quality of life and well-being, which was what I, what I started in Japan. And I started kind of just booking um, community centers and just running free workshops on well-being, quality of life and positive psychology and all those things. After a few months, I started like, okay, I, I don't think I'm generating enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can't Same. read myself. <laughs> it's like, I need to do something else. Um, so, I mean, I teamed up with a, as a life coach actually back then uh, and we built a program. We brought in a, a, a large course corporate client and we actually ran a talent well-being program for them we did that and you know obviously there was a bit of revenue uh, but it wasn't consistent and I wasn't a very good salesman in terms of marketing and getting out there and trying to find clients so so I decided to go back where I felt most comfortable which is the university I found out there is a project management program which has a leadership uh, course uh, which I became really interested in being part of so I went and said you know can I um, be part of the teaching team for, for this course and um, eventually they gave me a, a gig and um, after a year vision was I'll actually become the unit coordinator for that course and reap mm-hmm. from scratch and bring in important things because it was very theoretical about it, but nothing that actually helps build leaders you know it was mm-hmm. and so I want uh, my vision was actually building something which would be more transformational more about development of our leaders so that was really great because then I found a job where I can do what I want to do and it was sustainable because I would get a salary <laughs> And, and you also, it's like you effectively created a, a job that suited your interests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it, funny, Ria, because a few months before like joining university, I, I did this um, two-day hackathon. And, and at the end of the, that two-day, they gave us a T-shirt. On the, on the T-shirt said, your dream job doesn't exist. You must create it. I was like, wow, we don't have to fit into a mold. We don't have to fit into these little boxes that people design for us. We can actually create it. So I think that somehow uh, maybe just um, just sitting at the back of my mind uh, and not willing to compromise because, you know, at that time I was, I was very clear about what I want to do. I'm going to take a step back here. You said that your friends um, who'd known you were like, hey, Esan's a cartoonist again. That's what we expect him to be. Like, how the fuck did you end up in wireless telecommunications? <laughs> if, if your passion was cartooning and yeah. helping people and being around people, like, what the heck? No, I, I, you know, it's a very, it's a very, very 
very good question because what happened, and I have to go back even a few years back to the time I was in the sixth grade. In sixth grade, obviously, a lot of people knew I'm just really, I'm the cartoonist. Of the, I was a cartoonist of the, of, the, of the school. A few journalists saw one of my cartoons in some exhibition and they just, they called my school. They said, we want to interview this guy. <clears throat> so they came and it was a year after my parents migrated here. So my English wasn't the best at that time. You know, <laughs> and nevertheless, they, they interviewed me. And at the end of the interview, they quoted what I said, which was, I love cartooning, but I also love electronics and maths and you know all the other stuff. I want to do something where I can do all of these things. <laughs> yeah, all of the things. <laughs> You know, what, what happened in high school, I was quite strong in maths and physics and chemistry. So by the time I was finishing high school, I was like, okay, and my, my dad's an engineer. So I, I actually wanted to do science. I wanted to become a physicist. But my dad's like, you're not going to find a job. We had a friend who had a PhD in physics and he, he was out of a job. My dad was really worried about me doing physics and becoming unemployed. So he's like, go to engineering. It's more practical. It's more applied. So I, cartooning was almost always something on the side. I never really took it seriously. Even though in, in the early years, there were opportunities of cartoonists wanted to actually train me to, to become a professional cartoonist, but just always remained something on the side as a hobby and then ended up going to university doing engineering. And then after doing engineers, like, what do I do now? I was like, oh, I actually don't know what to do. So let me just do another degree in engineering. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do another one. <laughs> Just that. collect engineering degrees. <laughs> it's just, it's the most bizarre thing because even though, I mean, I always had interest in human sciences. Like I felt comfortable with engineering because I felt like, oh, this is what I'm good at. I hadn't asked myself the big questions of who do I want to be, you know? Um, But I think it's that also that traditional idea of societies very much like, okay, you've got to make cash, you've got to make yeah. money, you've got to be able to live. And so the traditional route is that professional, be an accountant, a lawyer, engineer yeah, exactly. a doctor something that is not in the arts yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and, and so i think if you were to go back to that kid who was making decisions about going to university and and am i going to go down the the cartoonist lines there are people here who are wanting to train me in the art what would you say to that kid um, i would love to that to tell that kid just do what you love and just trust yourself because people around you might not be supportive of that. And, and I don't blame my parents. They're very traditional, the Persians, right? The East, very traditional Eastern parents where there's a way of seeing, like, as you as you mentioned, it's like engineer, lawyer, like doctor. That's, you know, you, I mean, the first, <laughs> Holy grail, doctor. doctor. Like, become a medical doctor. And it's like, I can't, I can't stand the sight of blood. To be honest, I did engineering in, in university, undergrad. I did not enjoy it at all. Just felt like, oh, this, I don't, I don't think this is me. So it wasn't that I enjoyed it. I actually didn't. I mean, I, I actually found undergrad a very difficult and challenging time because I was working uh, about 20 hours a week. Weekends are all just working. And then weekdays, mm -hmm. I was just studying, you know, seven, seven subjects of engineering subjects, you know. And I was quite stressed out and I wanted to have a social life and just, yeah, very difficult time. And it, and it was one of the other motivators for me to bring in things I f wish I had had exposure to uh, when I was that age at university. Mm -hmm. And it was personal development skills and all those kind of things. 
even though I had some of that in, in, in high school, it wasn't enough to get me through the universities and, and relationships and all those kind of complexities that come with it. We have that same real similar thing. My undergrad was really hard for me because I was traveling two hours from home um, to get to university. And then I was running like two or three jobs at the same time, trying to study and trying to get through. And that was really hard. Mm. And I also felt really isolated yeah. because I was so far away. As much as I enjoyed things that I was doing at school, because I, I really love the human body and I unlike you I don't mind the side of blood like I'm running to the person who's bleeding I'm like Asan stand aside I got this shit <laughs> it's almost really endearing to hear someone else's story very similar to mine that we felt just a bit strange in our undergrad mm. and then kind of found something else that we really enjoyed doing and it, yeah. it's it is it's unfortunate not unfortunate but yeah you're right it's now our responsibility to tell these dare I say kids or people who are young, the next generation that um, the things that we wish that we were told especially now like the HSC is about to happen there's a lot of stress during the HSC yeah. a lot of kids are freaking out about marks and I didn't get the marks to get into the university course that I wanted to do so I kind of had to find a runaround yeah, I've given talks at, at schools as well just saying well, manage yourself manage your stress sleep well eat well take care of your well-being and you're going to be fine i mean my vision is is this organization which which is a combination of a leadership consultancy and leadership education where i bring in great people build the programs train people to deliver it for organizations for universities for schools essentially bring the best out of people and my main themes my areas that i'm really um interested in in kind of focusing on one is is mindfulness it's getting getting out there but there's also different misconceptions about it i think not all programs actually teach it i think the way it needs to be taught and i think becoming more present for us really make a huge difference and have have an impact on on our own well-being and well-being of our relationships well-being of environment and society how we are and how we behave actually changes but through that just a presence because you saw a problem in yourself and then you went to that conference in hawaii and went wait a second like where is everybody there's an intention behind this like what was it that you went oh my gosh there's something wrong here Mm. i have the capacity the skills the want the motivation to fix it what was that thing yeah and how do you plan to, to to fix it yeah absolutely i think ultimately it's bringing happiness to people's lives and wrecking and making people realize that it's not something out there that they need to search for it it's right here right now mm. bringing awareness on how life is fragile and just we're all going to die one day mm-hmm. <laughs> people are un- uncomfortable talking about these things but it's just realities realities that need to be realized and um, people need to become more aware of and I wouldn't say there's just one thing but essentially I want to cre- enhance people's awareness of themselves of other people of nature of our deep interconnectedness mm-hmm. of where we come from they're all you know historically how we got to where we are to just dispel some of these just kind of stories of separation that we've generated over the past centuries about how the pigmentation of our skin color is dividing us or because we live in a different region of of this planet we we suddenly uh, see ourselves separate you know from from the rest of the world all of these things is to just recognize uh, our deep interconnectedness and just to enhance awareness and from there then this opens up pathways of okay so who, who am i why am i here so the, the questions of purpose which is what what i question myself of when i was in japan it's like
like having meaning and purposing on. So that comes from awareness of uh, of who we really are and what is mm-hmm. what is our contribution to this world. Do you find that when you are running these programs with these um, these leaders or future leaders that you're able to sort of harness that awareness? To you, it came kind of naturally. And do you think it's possible to generate that? in a class or in a seminar or a a course it is to the extent where we have mindfulness sessions in classes in the more like Mm -hmm. before the class at the beginning of the class i ask students to sit and become present of of their breathing and their body sensations and what i love is when now that i've left to see if some of those things are still happening yeah and i think that Mm -hmm. the sustainability and the, the legacy remains and and you know, Mel, Mel has taken over that subject. So Mel has yeah. continued to actually take that all the all the content, uh, including the mindfulness practices. But what what I really love, I I saw one of the students that went through Mel's class saying this class was so transformational. We still continue. I've I've created a mindfulness group with a bunch of my friends. We still run, you know, doing mindfulness. Again, there is some resistance from some of the students, especially the, the engineers, because I have a large number of engineering students. It's like, oh, why do we have to do this? This is boring. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's the point of that? This is so fluffy. Um, so, so that resistance had, has always been there as well. But then there are students that really recognize that. And, and even those who don't might later kind of appreciate mm-hmm. it much more. And I remember remember when I studied meditation in, in my 20s, uh, there was a monk uh, that said something really interesting. He said, this is a toolkit. You know, you learn this. You might not need it right now, but when things get tough, you have something to pull out and actually you, when you really do need it. Because at that moment, it's too late. It's too late to learn it because you, you just, you're not in the right mindset, you know, yeah. to, to be able to suddenly learn meditation because it, it's just it's just too hard to do it. I mean, it's not impossible to come out of those yeah but and and that's what i'm hoping that young people recognize is it's it's something it's a skill that maybe immediately you might not read it need it right now but there'll be challenges in life it's it's like we're all going to face challenges in life in, in those times having the, the right kind of skills and tools to 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 utilize and to be able to manage ourselves around these challenges is is, is really important the fact that you were doing all this in universities is something that now like I'm almost 40 I look back on and 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 say even if for like one lecture or one tutorial someone had told me about occupational burnout compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma I may have not paid too much attention to it at the time but at least at least I was aware of it yeah yeah. And and so when See, something it? does come up, mm. yeah, I, I had a word mm. for those things and then I could seek out any other information. But that's something that's really lacking in healthcare is we're seeing burnout, we're seeing compassion fatigue, we're seeing all these things. But no one told us about that when we were 18-year-old kids mm. sitting in our first year lectures. And to your point, it's like I learned about the human body and I learned about from the head all the way down to the toes. Mm. The whole body is in my toolkit, but I only use the things that I need to use dealing with a patient mm. for a certain thing. So I think it it was it just blew my mind that number one you were able to do this at a university like no offense to universities and academia but especially in the engineering department I think that's just phenomenal how you were able to do that full stop our mutual friend Mel hello Mel she told me about a mentoring program that was it you or she started where you bring in industry mentors yeah, yeah, yeah into yeah, the class yeah. I'm gonna steal that because that is the best idea explain that to the people who are listening because number one you've proven that a university can shift and think in this way mm. 
Mm. especially in a technical subject such as engineering. Yeah. Give us a quick rundown. Give us the, like the three-minute yeah, elevator sure. pitch on, on this mentoring program. Well, uh, I was a student in, when I was in undergrad called Advanced Engineering. And in that subject, mm-hmm. we had project work. So we basically worked on a project and then we presented it. But our mentors were all academics. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. It's good. I mean, it's nice. Is it? But but, I mean, the concept was nice, but I was like, most of the students here are not going to become academics. They're going to go out in the real world and actually work for organizations. Why don't we have people from those organizations who are going to become your colleagues, your bosses, come into the university and actually um, provide challenges that organizations are really having right now so that students can actually work on real projects. And so that's what happened. So we brought industry mentors. Then uh, after two years, uh, I I said, we have to scale this. We have to have this for all the students doing this subject. What was amazing, and I had a photo of this, is I had I think close to 200 students making presentations, you know, in groups, in teams. And I had 30 judges sitting there on a a, a platform, which I actually built, you know, it's an online platform (laughs) where they can actually give them uh, live real-time scores and feedback. And it all gets aggregated, given to that particular team that presents. Uh, unfortunately, universities don't really appreciate the effort that we take. Uh, it's just a very different mindset. So it does become at some mm-hmm. point quite frustrating the amount of time uh, and energy put into uh, doing these things. It's, it's not really, you know, recognized when it comes to promotion. and that, that university mindset actually moves into the professional mindset. And you've experienced that when you're trying to start a business when we are talking about health, wellness, mindfulness. I mean, now everyone's getting a little bit more on board with it. But even programs that I run and um, I know programs that you run, people are always asking us things like, what are the learning outcomes? comes what are the prescription models and you're like what well, I, I don't know like because this is not a technical university because we're trying to build humans we're trying to uh, build whole people and that goes beyond the technicalities and i feel like that's where a lot of people when you talk to them and they are burning out or they're making decisions about their life and do they want to continue doing what it is that they're doing the answer always comes down to i just feel unhappy or i just don't feel fulfilled mm. not i don't have enough technical ability no that's right uh, like no one no one came out of university ever saying oh I don't have enough technical ability or no one goes 10 years into career and says oh I'm leaving because I don't know enough technically yeah no absolutely I mean I, the, the biggest problems professionals are having as you mentioned are burnout too much work lack of meaning in their work lack of support from people around them or mm-hmm. lack of care you know it has nothing to do with expertise and yet we put too much emphasis on all of that and as you said learning outcomes just it became a trigger word for me someone says learning outcomes you know stop it it. you know stop it (laughs) (laughs) shh shh I, I, I would I don't want learning outcomes I want transformation outcomes what are the transformations that these, mm-hmm. these young people are going to have in their lives so that they, they're going to make it make a real impact to themselves and other people and the society and society I've seen some of your books I've seen some of your cartoons that little elephant thing that you do is just the cutest thing ever and I think it kind of looks like you um. I manifest myself <laughs> in many different forms Ria. so with the book that you do with the cartoons that you do I'm really interested in that process of how how you come up with that and I imagine there's an intention behind all the things that you do absolutely I mean 
I think the one thing that every, all of this points to is to look inside and find the resilience, the joy, the happiness, the peace, everything is, you know, we have access to it. It's not out there. Elephant Story is an interesting one is because it came out of my own experiences and I translated that into uh, a cartoon to, to make it more generic in general for uh, you know the message that I learned through that experience, which was usually an intense experience that was a very difficult mm-hmm. experience. Uh, the Elephant one, for instance, is um, at some point when I was living in Japan, I felt a dump of crap just fell on me, right? And I was just stuck in there, suffocating, didn't know what to do, right? Mm. And I, you know, at some point I said to myself, well, I can just stay here and complain or climb on top of this dump and get to a better place, really intentionally get myself out of this. And if you have seen one of the animations of the, the elephant stories, is actually mm-hmm. the, the, um, the zookeeper is cleaning the elephant and then the elephant poops on the head. Poops on, yeah. <laughs> and there's two scenarios where one, the, the zookeeper keeps complaining, oh, why did this happen to me? Why is this, why life was so unfair? And then the other one where the zookeeper just climbs on top of that pile of dump and cleans the top of the elephant, which we couldn't reach before. So things like that are really just to bring hope and uh, basically a positive message for people going through difficult periods in their lives to find the inner strength to come out of that situation whether it's mindfulness mindfulness is a powerful technique but whether it's just having this optimism about uh, life and having hope and, and finding hope or just some something that can help people in difficult situations because i think it is much of it comes from personal experience um you and i are definitely built for optimism i think that's just the way we are. They're going to have those people who are going to say, oh, it's easy for you to say to just, you know, climb out of the crap. Is part of your program about teaching people how to climb out of the crap? I truly believe that everybody has a chance and and I think you can almost practice hope. There's no one size fits all for all situations because there are moments where you can't come out of that crap. You're stuck. When when someone finds themselves in situations like that, the the only sane thing to do is to to actually surrender to that. And and Mm -hmm. people's suffering actually dramatically reduces. And, you know, there's been studies looking at people on death row and uh, they suddenly surrender to the fact, okay, I'm they're going to be executed and they find this mm-hmm. deep sense of peace at that moment uh, because they've relinquished resistance to the reality or that they're facing is that the presence and the mindfulness that you're, you're you've spoken about sort of earlier is that what it is it's about just the situation that you're in and then maybe realizing that yes you can do something about it or no you can't so just yeah. surrender it's, to it's it absolutely it, it does okay. because the most important component of mindfulness which again it's not emphasizing i think a lot of pro- programs is acceptance of what is happening right now and people find it very difficult to actually accept the concept of acceptance because people want to say no this is unfair we shouldn't accept it right because the acceptance we're talking about here is not about accepting the situation and giving up and not doing anything about it it's accepting the reality that we are facing right now as truth it is as it is nothing other than as it is and i think when we surrender to the reality of what is happening right now there there is a sense of stillness that arises from that Mm -hmm. that stillness one can make more clear decisions about what to do to come out of that situation this is what's really important here it's not about giving up it's about actually finding a stable ground to make more clear decisions about how do we 
move forward at some in some instances it is actually fully accepting and knowing that there's nothing else that can be done in some instances there is a clear creative outlet that comes at that moment so oh actually i can do this You've just blown my mind, right? Because we we touched on myths and trying to bust myths around mindfulness and, you know, wellness. And and one of the myths that I, and one of the biases that I have is that mindfulness and meditation is all about how to improve my quality of life, how to make my life better, how to make other people's lives better. But what you've just told me then is sometimes it's just accepting truth of reality of situation because the end game, well, not the end game, but one of the purposes of mindfulness in the way that you speak of it is clearing your mind to then make good decisions. Like that's fucking cool. absolutely and i love how you you mentioned you you said that it is myth busting and i want to bust every myth about mindfulness because there's so many of them because now that it's such a big buzzword yeah it's like woo woo everybody's jumping on the mindfulness train and butchering it yeah butchering it because people actually think mindfulness is about clearing the mind and unless you clear your mind you're not doing mindfulness which is complete bollocks it's nonsense there's no way we can stop thinking because the mind is just constantly the thoughts coming in all the time but surrendering to the fact that that's the reality that is mindfulness surrendering to the fact that oh thoughts are just going to keep coming into my head but I don't have to be entangled in those thoughts. I can watch those thoughts, which is exactly what mindfulness is, being aware of the thoughts and emotions that I'm experiencing and experiences I'm having internally without resistance because I'm accepting it. I'm surrendering to that reality. Uh, so people have a problem with that because it's un- the mind does not like the concept of surrendering to what is happening right now. The mind wants to resist it at all costs. The mind wants to always get to a place which is better than this very moment. Right? Oh, this is right now it's not good enough i want to get somewhere better yeah the grass is greener i want more success more money yeah. more ca- whatever it is right more growth and and yeah. and, and it's, it's funny because it's it's a mirage it never we, we, no, no one ever gets it because once you're there there's more there's more there's always constant so it's not about not doing that it's not about like stopping and just being complacent in life it's about just finding peace with this present moment i love what eckhart Tolle talks about in the power of now is making this moment your friend be befriending this present moment befriending mm-hmm. this present moment and, and that's what i that's that's the essence of mindfulness just really connecting with this very moment once people experience that then there's a realization it's not about giving up it's actually about just just accepting the fact that this is what is happening right now and then from there this space opens up is like hey can i do something about it yes what is that okay let me do that right cannot oh maybe i cannot do anything about it so then why resist just surrender because i'm creating more suffering for myself by resisting the reality that's fucking fascinating i mean the whole mindfulness piece i mean you kind of think that you know about it and you hear about it but to hear it in that context um poof, like i'm going to talk to you anyway like later um for hours about this but for the purposes of this episode i want to start wrapping up a little bit where do you find the intersection between being the engineer that you were or are an educator and a cartoonist out of all those things what are the particular crossovers that you found that have been really interesting for you hmm. being an engineer uh, obviously i found a position in the engineering faculty so i can do 
being a cartoonist, I brought all these cartoons into my lecture notes, into my books, uh, lecture slides to illustrate all these difficult and challenging uh, concepts. And uh, hey, Google, stop. Hey, Google, <laughs> stop. <laughs> The alarm which went off. Uh, sorry, yeah, that, there's a bit more editing to do for you because of- <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think add, add it to the flavor of this <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, at that moment, Ria, I surrendered and you know, very calmly, I just said, Google, stop. <laughs> sorry, we'll get on with it. <laughs> like, for instance, here's a book it's Leadership and the Human Element in Project Management, which was a book I wrote while I was uh, teaching uh, leadership in the project, and you know, inside of it has lots of cards. Cartoons. A lot of illustrations. Some people think, oh, it's, it's very kiddy, like it's childish, but actually a lot of adults enjoy illustrations in books. We're translators. You and I have, have sort of come to this point in our career where we are processing a lot of information, but we need to be able to translate and communicate that in a way that people can use, as you said, to be transformative, mm. Mm. not just to be informative. That's right. Exactly. And, and that, that crossover from just knowledge uh, in, and information to transformation is, is a big one. It's, it's something I think the the academia hasn't caught up with that. When we talk about transformation, it's like, what do you mean transformation? What's transformation? It's like information, just, just feed information and then test students on that information. This paradigm has been around for centuries and it, we need to move forward. And um, a part of me feels sad for leaving the university and not being in that game anymore to try to change things that was my aim when I went back is, was to, to try to change education but you know I haven't given up on that dream it could be a different pathway at some point I might find myself back to university but hopefully at a better position when I do personally I love hanging out with you can I just say and uh, anybody who meets you will probably say the exact same thing except for the academics <laughs> so, um, but how do we find you how do people get you to speak for them and teach them and impart your wisdom and knowledge onto them. Well, no, thank you so much, and I, I really enjoy hanging with you and many other awesome people in the future crunch and uh, and even even academics. I have some really great academic friends, so it's not like I, I don't want to kind of box all the academics. <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, yeah. I'll box the academics. Um, but in terms of what I'm doing right now, so we, we're establishing a leadership consultancy. We, we want to consult to academia and organizations and schools. And the website is www.imaustralia.com. My personal website is drsakai.com with the D-R and an S-A-K-A-I-I.com. Uh, so, you know, feel free to uh, get in touch with me. That's where you get all your books, your cartoons, all your funny little tidbits. And you're on Insta, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm probably more active on LinkedIn uh, than the other social media platforms. My plan is to actually be able to produce more content that I feel like will inspire and transform people. There have been little things that I've watched or saw that have had an impact on me. And, and that's what I want to create for other people as well. And yeah, and, and I'm just really grateful for being part of your show, Ria. Thank you for having me on Intelligent Rebellion. Um, keep doing what you're doing. You're an amazing person. And I'm really grateful to have connected with you. And yeah, and all, all the best to everyone who watched this show. Thanks for uh, your time to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> listen to us just chat. You found something 
something valuable. So, so thank you again. Esan, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the pod. Uh, I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this and actually letting me share our random chats to the world. Um, I do have a final word. A big shout out to our Future Crunch crew. Love you guys and sorry, Grandma. <laughs> The Intelligent Rebellion Podcast is a Three Sticks production. It is produced, written, and hosted by me, Ria Mercado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing, and editing, and is a talent behind all our original music. 